you're listening to High Temperature Times, my favorite podcast, and probably yours too. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I am an application specialist with Harbison Walker International. There's a lot of knowledge in the refractory industry, and that fact goes deeper than I sometimes fail to remember. Knowledge about application processes, knowledge about refractory composition and compatibility, knowledge about installation parameters, and even knowledge about the little additions to the refractory or installation process that makes it all work. This is why HDT is so great, because it gives us an avenue to capture and share this knowledge from those who have been using Refractory for 40 years to those who are relatively new to the industry, like me. This month, we'll be chipping away at that block of knowledge by learning the deep truths about activators used in shot-creating refractories. And to do that, we have research engineer Josh Sayer to make us just a little bit smarter. But let's start by wetting our whistle with a question from our technical marketing inbox. We do get some really great questions coming across our desk, but there's always room for more. So be sure to send your question to technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com and use the subject line podcast if you'd like it featured on the show. This month's question comes from Guy Cortero asking, how can I cut and shape IFB, or more specifically high purity IFB like Toughline Lightweight and Corundle Lightweight? It's a really great question and a big shout out to Dino Biondillo for teaching me a little something something about the best practices here. Regular IFB, like Green Therm IFB, can be cut with a regular hacksaw and trimmed down with rough grit sandpaper. As the temperature rating gets higher, this gets a little more difficult, as the density and toughness increases due to the higher purity raw materials being used. As you get to even higher purity IFB used for specialty furnaces like hydrogen processing furnaces or tactical ceramics kiln, this gets very difficult. These are brands like Toughline Lightweight and Corundum Lightweight, a corundum bonded and malite bonded IFB respectively. You could use an IFB saw blade, which is just a much toothier hacksaw blade, but you'll go through a good number of them when cutting these higher purity bricks. Best bet is to wet cut them, like a traditional dense refractory brick, as you'll have better speeds and successes with that. Just turn down the water to a trickle so you don't completely soak the refractory when cutting. And if the brick does get especially wet, you can always stick it in a dryer at 230 degrees Fahrenheit overnight. For shaping these higher purity IFB, we recommend the use of a curry comb. These combs are actually made for grooming horses, but they groom IFB just fine too. A curry comb is a series of toothed metal rings that attach to a handle that can scour away the IFB until it gets to a desired shape or size, and it works pretty darn good. For finer shaping, you can also take two IFB and rub them together, as it will erode away both bricks equally. Anyways, thank you Guy for the terrific question, and we look forward to a new question next month. Now that my whistle has been appropriately wetted, we can blaze forward and learn about activators. To do that, we have none other than research engineer Josh Sayer here with us today. Welcome back, Josh. Hello, Griff. In lieu of repeating your history at HWI, which was outlined in our lightweight aggregate episode of High Temperature Times, can you talk a little bit about the, all the new things being worked on within your group at the ATRC? Right. We are working on a bunch of uh, exciting new products and developments, but without getting too in-depth with them, just because they still aren't commercially available. Uh, just check back with your salesman in the coming months for all the new stuff we're working on. Well, I'm pretty sure we've covered this before, but just in case anyone isn't familiar, could you explain shotcreting so we're all on a level playing field for talking activators? Right, so shotcreting is the process where you take a wet mixture and you pump it up to a nozzle and introduce a airstream and with this airstream you introduce a activator or a, a additional solution that mixes within the nozzle and then is conveyed against a wall to build up a lining 
and due to the activator being blended into the material, the material rapidly stiffens and then allows you to build up a thickness so you can build up full linings using shotcrete. So your shotcrete rig is, is just, it's really just mixing around almost like non-setting material until the activator is added? Right. So shotcreting is taking a pumping type uh, mechanism and now you're, instead of just pumping, you're adding an airstream with the activator. And you can imagine you can do this with a lot of different materials. Uh, but for shotcreting mixes, these mixes are specifically focused the uh, to be user-friendly, to be portable, uh, so a person can handle the nozzle. So uh, we typically, the size of nozzle desired for shock reading is inch and a half because this allows for a lightweight nozzle compared to, let's say, a two-inch nozzle. Uh, so the operator can shock read for longer periods of time without breaks, you're not holding a like say a hundred pound nozzle you're holding a 50 pound nozzle so that's kind of the difference between the shock creating setup versus pumping but it, it typically a shock cream mix is designed to go through reducers which is then allows you to get down to that one and a half inch size uh, hose so with the activator being the stuff that's added at the very tip of the nozzle, just before it flies through the air and hits the wall, what what's really going on here at a, at a, at a chemical level? What's it doing? The activators are caustic solutions, so they are causing a shift in the pH and driving essentially the, the low water additives to not be as active, causing the, the material to not be dispersed anymore. And it will also drive the set. Certain activators will drive the set more than others and change or harden the material very quickly. So by aspirating or blending in this activator into the airstream, it essentially aerates it and then blends it together in the mixing chamber, mixing tip, all the way out until it hits the wall. So I think that's a really interesting point. I mean, it's... Something that your average, call it layperson, might not realize is the role that pH plays in all this. And I think we say in all of our all of our instructions for monolithics that if you wouldn't drink the water, don't use it. And that's because of the role that pH plays. And that's that's exactly what's going on here. It's a similar phenomenon. You can have, uh, depending on the activator, there might be a couple different mechanisms uh, bring up. But the the primary one is it breaks the dispersion of the wet mixed refractory yeah speaking of the different types of activators i know that hwi has different activators for different purposes can you lay them out for us and explain why they're why they're different yeah there are five primary activators that hwi utilizes uh, gt activator gt standing for gunning technology activator and that is a wet mixed uh, activator ready to use in the field comes in buckets you just give it a swirl and then you start pumping it up to the nozzle. There's activator HL, comes as a dry powder, HL standing for hydrated lime. And in the field, you take the dry powder, add your water to the desired ratio, either four to one, two to one, for the concentration of hydrated lime to water. Uh, activator SN, which is a solution of sodium nitrite. 
activator LP2, which is primarily used for Greenlight 45 valve pump, and then activator N, which is specific towards the CS Tech products that are designed for shock. So that's your colloidal silica activator. Correct. So what would, what would happen if you use the wrong activator with the wrong mix? More likely, as long as you're in the same family of products, the a lot of the activators are cross-compatible. The ones that are not are your sodium nitrate, SN. Um, this activator typically isn't desired for the high purity mixes or the new light mixes, um, HB cast mixes, but the GT and HL are readily cross-compatible across the whole line of products that are shock readable, with the exception of the CS-bonded ones where Activator N is the only targeted activator that will design for compatibility. So just out of curiosity, what would happen if you took SN and put it with a high-purity shockrete material like HPCast Ultra? It will either stiffen extremely rapidly and you'll have high rebounds, or you'll have uh, a slumping effect. Slower gelling, yeah. Activator SN will cause the high-purity mixes to slump. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. I guess the sodium is your is your, I'll call it the pH changer, compared to hydrated lime, which is going to be a lot a lot stronger than a, than a sodium nitrate. So I guess that kind of tracks. I agree. And similarly, what happens when you use too much or too little activator? As I understand it, you kind of need a practiced hand to tune in the right activator levels. The activator level will be dictated by the nozzleman. In this case, the guy at the nozzle, where he's spraying. If you have a lot of anchors, you might want a softer mix. If you're trying to spray it on or flash it or go overhead, you might want more activator. So, and this kind of goes in line with the potency, depending on the cement level in the mix, you might require a very potent or a very concentrated level of activator. So two to one hydrate line, but in a, let's say a higher cement mix, you might get away with six to one. It all depends on the application, and you might have to adjust in the field based on the feedback. If you're getting higher rebounds, the activator is probably too high. If you're getting slumping, probably not getting enough activator, or the, the potency is too low. As someone who's never shot created a day in his life, um, how easy it is is it to see like that you're getting too much rebound, and, and how quick is it to sort of, when you turn that nozzle to get it a little bit lower, how quick is it to respond? Right, so the adjustment for the activator is actually typically done back at the activator pump. So the rotor stator, which is the best activator pump that is out there, um, they're small rotor stators designed for pumping liquids with high solids content. These pumps can be controlled with uh, Veristat, and this allows a very good metering of the activator. The nozzle typically just turns the air on and the activator on. It's not like gunite where they're trying to chase with the, the water valve at the nozzle. Typically, the, the air pressure is turned on, the activator is turned on, and then the activator pump is what you try to adjust. And then if you can't do it with the activator pump, you start to change the concentration or adjust 
uh, the potency of the activator. Is that kind of stuff done live during the, the shot creating process or is it sort of just it's honed in early on and then we just keep it consistent for the, for that portion? It's of the mostly honed in early on and then you just hold it consistent. It's just one of those things, the first couple minutes of a shotcrete installation, you might have a little bit of a tuning curve. And then once you find the sweet spot, usually off to the races, just keep the activator moving and the mix going through the hoses. So Really, uh, really doubles down on my statement that you kind of need a practiced hand at it. Correct. One disadvantage with shotcreting is just like pumping, once you start, you usually don't stop. So there isn't brakes. It's not like gunite where you can just turn the air off, run the gun clean. You can't do that with shock treating. All the more reason to have a one and a half inch nozzle instead of two and a half, three inches. Correct. Holding <laughs> a nozzle for eight hours at a time can definitely be tiring. Most of HWI's shot creep portfolio, including the Shot Tech brand family, mention that you can use a variety of different activators when spraying the mix. Why would someone choose one over the other? Depends on comfort and properties. Some activators have more trim time than others. Some people are just more comfortable with certain activators because that's what they've been using for years. If you're looking for the best properties, you'll probably use GT activator. Uh, if you don't have a water source or when you're trying to mix up your activator, you want to have an agitator for the hydrate line, you'll use GT activator because it comes pre-mixed. You just have to give it a swirl and it's ready to go. Uh, with hydrate line, people are more comfortable just mixing it up in the field and getting the right concentration. There's no issues with that. It's also, it comes in a dry powder and a bag. So it's easier for transport, and you can obviously keep some in your shop and I'll have it ready to go. Right. So when you're developing a product, is it simply finding out which activator works best, or is there something in the mix that tells us, like, this is where we will see a response with a specific activator? The designing of a shotcrete product will be dictated by the dispersants and low water additives used in the mix. So we want to make sure we use these type of dispersants and low water additives that will be have the ability to be activated using one of these activators. And then also along that line, most shotcrete products are finer so they can go through reducers in the field because as we kind of alluded to earlier, they're not just pumping mixes, they're shotcrete mixes. So they want to be able to get down to inch and a half so they're user-friendly, the, ho the hose weight isn't excessive, and you can get into tighter places, so when you're spraying, you just it, it's not as cumbersome to move around these uh, large diameter hoses or heavy hoses if they're, let's say, greater than two inches. So while this episode is really trying to hone in on activators, can you talk a little bit about shotcrete products in general? What makes a good shotcrete product and what makes a bad one? So shotcretes typically have a wider range for user friendliness, even as a casting mix, they have longer working time. So in hot conditions, let's say you do have something go wrong, your activator pump goes down, uh, you get a plug, you don't want a mix that's setting up relatively quickly or heat sensitive. So a lot of the shot techs, they're designed to have this longer working time window 
So that way you do have a little bit of wiggle room in the field so you don't have to dump mixes on the ground or have mixes that start to rapidly harden and have to clean out your pump because that's obviously a piece of equipment that is definitely a sizable investment and you don't want to be having these pieces of equipment need cleaning or repair just due to some simple thing that caused a 15-minute delay and now you have mixes that are stiffening in your pipes. And you also don't, along those same lines, you don't want to be making fence posts with pipes and castable hardening inside of them. Yeah, I don't think uh, installers bring a second shot creek rig with them, a backup. Oh, the, actually, on most shot creek jobs, they always take a second pump mixer. And wow. just for I mean, those, they're sizable. Correct. And, and they do that just for the fact that finding one out in these industrial areas is not easy. Right. These aren't around the corner, these high pressure concrete pumps. And that's what separates it from a, say, a civil application pump. The, the pressure that these pumps can get to is quite a bit higher due to the weight of the refractories. So getting more into the science side of things, can you give us a little history of activator research? Are there activators out there that HWI doesn't use or maybe no longer uses or even activators that are still perhaps in development? There are a couple activators we don't use as often or we'll still evaluate them. Uh, The two I can think of are calcium chloride and Epsom salts. These have been previously used. They can still be used in civil applications, especially calcium chloride for just accelerating concrete, maybe not for shock reading. Uh, But the issue with calcium chloride, it's very caustic, it's very potent, but it can also cause burns and corrosion. Uh, You can chew up your activator pumps. It was used for years, but it's it's just not as user-friendly as hydrated lime. Uh, So we've moved away from it. And then with Epsom salts, it actually is just more of a flocculant and it doesn't drive the set as relatively desired for calcium aluminate cement type mixes. So this hasn't been really used. There is some small applications on the basic side, but it's not used on the calcium aluminate cement type products. All right. Thank you, Josh. I love how even the tiniest factor in refractory technology has an incredible amount of science and technology behind it. Thanks again for being part of the show. If you'd like to learn more about Shotcrete technology, activators, or any of the products mentioned on the show, reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. And while we have you, we would be muchos gracias if you would give us a review on Apple or Google Podcasts so we can reach more listeners who love the refractory industry as much as we do. See you next month for another HGT, this time from the grave.